This is The Intuitive Edge, episode 184. Today's guest, Alice Chun. Intuition, I always I always go back to my gut. Like, if you can't make a decision, what is your gut telling you? And you have to, you have to go with your intuition. Welcome to The Intuitive Edge. I'm Victoria Lynn Weston, your host. I'm an intuitive business consultant, entrepreneur, and founder of Studio Carlton, we're a group of visionaries, producers, and developers of custom Amazon Alexa skills. I embrace big, bold ideas and love doing the unpredictable when it comes to helping business owners and professionals raise their visibility, expand their brand, and attract new business. The future is here, and it's all about voice. Check out StudioCarlton.com. So I get pitched a lot of guests to be on the show, The Intuitive Edge, by a lot of PR company primarily, and I had one a couple of weeks ago. Um, about our guest today, Alice Chun. And if she, I was so fascinated with her work, and I know you will be too, and what she's contributed to making lives better, but more importantly, making them healthier. Alice is the former professor in architecture and material technology at Columbia University. And during her time there, she created early prototypes of solar lights with her students. Fueled by her passion, she launched a Solite design and initiated a Kickstarter program in 2015 with unprecedented results. And that, my friends, is the birth of SolarPuff. Let's go talk with Alice, the CEO of Solite, and find out why she's one of the featured women on Gutsy Women on the Apple TV series produced by Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. Alice Chun, it's a pleasure to have you here, and I'm so excited to talk about your participation in the very popular book on gutsy women written by Hillary and her daughter Chelsea. But first I want to ask you, what is a gutsy woman? So this was something that we talked about in the docu-series and a lot of it has to do with courage, perseverance, never giving up, having integrity and um, just just going for it when, even when you know you might fail. And so there's a lot of different aspects of, of gutsy, but one of the things that I talked about was that you literally have to have an iron gut. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you have challenges and, you know, starting a new company, doing a new invention, traveling to Tanzania, like Jane Goodall, um, to save the gorillas. It's, um, it takes bravery and courage, but also uh, a belief in what you are passionate about and being able to hone in on what it is that you're passionate about. That That's the key. Some people, that's a challenge, but when, when you do, the courage will come, the bravery will come. You don't have to worry about that, but, um, but the challenges of, of doing it is extremely difficult. It doesn't happen overnight and it takes extreme grit and perseverance and, um, a lot of, you know, no matter how much good you try to do in the world, you're still going to have haters. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and if you don't have that passion, most people will just give up. So that's that's the thing about being gutsy. 
Exactly, because I think if you don't have passion in anything in life, it's never you don't have it. It's like the the wind in your sail kind of thing, because it's just gonna you're gonna just run out of energy, so to speak. Now you met Hillary Clinton, and and I think around 2017, and when you met her, I suspect you're a pretty intuitive individual anyway, given your background, all your accomplishments, which we'll highlight shortly. But when you met her, did you feel like it was going to be more than just a meeting that maybe that was a kismet experience? Um, definitely kismet. I mean, I honestly, when I met her, I just gave her a big bear hug, you know, like I, I never met her before, but <laughs> I just love her so much. She's one of my idols. I mean, she's done more for women in the history of, you know, like right next to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's done immense amount of work for, for women's rights and, um, she's actually, you know, I was talking about this the other day in, in another interview, um, in the political election, I don't think people saw this side of her where she is so down to earth, so approachable, and she is funny. She is amazingly funny. And, um, She's just uh, just the kindest, very, very, like, humble, but extremely focused and sharp. Um, and when I met her, um, I was – the first thing I said was, you know, Hillary, you know, that day of the election, my son was 12 years old. He came home from school crying because – he was saying, why didn't Hillary win? It's so unfair. <laughs> and he, I told her this and she said, oh, we were all crying. <laughs> and um, in any case, I, I had just flown back from Dominica because I did a light drop. I, I put 400 lights, solar puffs in my luggage, flew down to Dominica where there is the oldest indigenous tribe of North America called the Kalinago that they were decimated after Hurricane Maria. And they had no power. And there were several several schools of children that, you know, all the roofs were blown off. And I told her I I just came back because I just delivered all these lights to these kids. And I told them the story of the solar puff and how I invented it and and that the sun is the most powerful source of energy that comes to the earth every day. But the light of your imagination and the light of your heart is even more powerful than the sun. And that if you fight with that light, you're a light warrior. And that is the greatest weapon against injustice and poverty. And all of the all of the kids, you know, I would told them that, you know, I don't know if you've seen the solar puff, but so this is the solar puff. It, it's very so cute. And then it, it's origami, it pops open into a cube. And basically um, it's better than a flashlight because you don't need batteries and it's super, super thin and great for backpacking. So anyway, I told the kids, you know, the sun, the sun must kiss his face every day so that it gets, it gets charged with energy. And at nighttime, you can see the light so that your dreams and ambitions can grow because you're a light warrior. And 
Hillary heard that story and she was like, oh, Alice, I love that story. That's such a great story because she loves children. I mean, and um, and then she said, Chelsea and I are doing a book. And That's so she told you that right on the bat. You mean like you, you uh, meet within her three minutes within three minutes of meeting. That's her, incredible. Telling her my Dominica light drop story. And, um, but I, I actually, I think she knew that, that the Clinton foundation gave us a little award for all of the humanitarian work that we did in Puerto Rico after hurricane Maria, we work with a whole bunch of NGOs to get light to people that need it most, especially after a disaster, because children and women are really, really vulnerable at that point. It's extremely dangerous for, for children because of human trafficking and kidnappings. Um, so that, so right on the spot, you tell her a story. Obviously, she really liked you in order, in order for you to give her a hug of that type. And then you told her a story, and she asked to be part of the Gutsy Women book. And so yeah. that must have been kind of like a little bit overwhelming to you because I'm sure. Oh, my God. Because yeah, you don't I come guess. across like you're trying to, you oh, know, wheel and deal. You're just like sharing your vortex, life stories, like you know. Vertigo, vortex, you know, like Spielberg moment where you're kind of like suspended in space thinking, is this real? And then um, I, I went home and I told people about it. And people were like, you know. Yeah, sure, Alice, sure. Yeah, yeah. She's a politician and all politicians lie. So don't hold your breath. And then, you know, like a year later after, you know, several drafts and going back and forth with writers. And this is what I mean by gutsy. Like you just. You just can't give up. You have to keep at it um, and persevere. And then finally it came came out. And I heard at the end, though, like it started off with 200 women in, for the book, and then they had to sh cut it down to 100 women. Oh, wow. And now the docuseries, I think it's 32 women. Right. And that so you're part of the Gutsy Women book, and I think everybody should read that to learn more about your experience and contribution in general. But then the really exciting part is that Gutsy Women, Hillary Clinton, and Chelsea being, I think, executive producers, Apple TV, you got chosen to be part of that too. So I know, I can't believe it. Honestly. So it's just like you, it was almost to me, it was like destiny that you and Hillary Clinton were supposed to meet at that moment in time to basically. Yeah help and elevate each other as well as elevating the rest of these women. So when you got to be part of the, the series and that, what was that experience like? You have all these people. I read somewhere where you had like 30 camera people and, and oh add all the little assistants that come along with that. So I was going back and forth with the producers. I had several, several interviews with them. And uh, I think about like the fifth meeting with them, they were like, well, ideally, it would be great to do a light drop with Hillary and, and go to Haiti or something and, and deliver lights. But because of the pandemic and the, you know, danger, like I just came back from Haiti after that huge earthquake last year. And I went by myself and I barely got out alive. I, I checked out. Oh, <laughs> I wow. checked my health, my um, life insurance before I left. And I, I actually told my son I don't know if I'm going to come back or not but but I love you anyway so I I was able to get back 
unharmed and and I, I thank God because you know really I think he was looking out for me when I was there because just as I was leaving the, the gangs had flipped over a bus and blocked the road and no one could get by for three weeks oh my god anyway and they kidnapped two doctors right when I was getting getting out anyway so and I did tell Hillary about that too I said you know I flew down I I checked my life insurance and I delivered the lights and I said, you know, if that's not gutsy, I don't know what is. And, and then, um, well, obviously it was too dangerous. And because of the pandemic, we ended up using my apartment. I live in Manhattan. It's a tiny apartment. Like most people have ranch, you know, roaming, you know, yeah. <laughs> five dogs and, you know, six cats kind of, in, but in Manhattan, it's really small, and luckily, the apartment across the hall was empty. They had just moved out, and they used that. We, they took over that space as well as my apartment for the crew and the equipment and all of the um, the setup and the um, anyway. So, and and the Secret Service, Secret Service was here too. It so was, Hillary and Chelsea were there as well. A lot of time they just send the producers and that just to shoot the uh, the interview, and then they go ahead and, and intercut that. So you got to sit with Hillary and Chelsea during the um, your interview segment, I guess. Right, right. They were here in my living room, and they were here for about three hours. That's a good bit of time. Did you get to have wine? No, but I I made tea and like I was nervous and I spilled the tea a little bit and um I actually ordered some Korean, you know, New Year's mochi, but it it came while we were filming and um I don't know if they actually got to try some, but in any case, uh they were so fun. Oh my God. The first thing Chelsea does is go into my kitchen and she, she looks at my, my wall and I have like, you know, magnets and pictures of my son. And then next to a picture of my son, I had one of my patents and she's like, what is this? And I said, Oh, it's just one of my patents. And she's like, what do you mean it's just one of your patents? You have it next to your fridge, you know, like most people, I guess most people frame their patents and have it hung on the wall, but I had it like on the fridge with magnets. Oh. So she was, she was like kind of laughing at that. Um, and we talked about my work with the solar puff and how I invented it. And, and I invented a new product over the p pandemic i embedded a new transparent mask i saw I that i thought that was really really extraordinary and what happened to that did you produce enough of them i never saw anything yeah. around but gosh that would have helped the school kids so much that nobody could oh, see their yeah. little faces and, and the, the social interaction so how was that part going they're available online um i i did a kickstarter and i raised um I don't know, I think half a million dollars in 30 days on Kickstarter. And wow. I delivered, 
I, I delivered early this year all of the masks and we have them for sale on our website. Um, it's not FDA approved yet and we got a grant from the National Institute of Health to go into clinical trials and we're partnering with Harvard Medical School and Mass General to, to do clinical trials. So that's, that's the next phase with uh, CS95. CS95 is. Yeah, C is S E E U S 95. And that, right. I think that's the same on the website too. Before I reveal too much about, you know, that backstory a bit, is I want people to know that your journey is really quite unique. I mean, a lot of us are out there doing what we're doing, but you went from, I don't know, the top of the line to the top of the line to the top of the line. It doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of climbing the ladder in a lot of ways. So, because you came from, and you are an architect and a technology right. expert and a former Columbia professor. And so how do you go from there? I mean, there must have been a big intuitive spark to design solar lights and then become the inventor of them and ultimately the grand CEO of Solite. And that's well, just extraordinary to me. So tell us how all that happened. You are you are too kind. You are you, I feel very honored and grateful for your kindness. Um, and honestly, my interest in solar energy was because of my son. When he was born with asthma, I would be going to the doctor's office so much that it was odd to me that so many kids had asthma and eczema, which is like 10 times more than when I was a kid. And I did the research and I found out that one out of four kids in New York have had asthma, which was 40% higher than the rest of the country. Now it's 50%, 50% of the kids. And some places like Detroit, I'm actually um, working on um, doing solar technology lectures with kids in underserved communities in Detroit. And it's 60%, 60% of the kids have asthma oh in, in Detroit. And anyway, so, um, and it's because of the pollution. So our, in, the, in the human gene pool, is just too early for us to be changing that rapidly. So it has to be because of the environment. There's no other, there's no other explanation for it. Um, early on, I, I was always making things because I, I went to school for architecture and model making and, and drawing and, and so, it was easy for me to kind of experiment and make prototypes because of that background. And architecture is kind of the best liberal arts education that you could get in terms of the applicability of it to any any discipline that there's always this kind of parallel, um, parallel sync um, with the things that you learn in architecture and, and many other disciplines. So one of them in terms of being an entrepreneur is that this whole idea that you start with nothing, like you start with an idea and then to see it into reality sometime in the future. And as an inventor, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as, you know, that concept goes ripples throughout all of those disciplines. So, um, and, you know, I think maybe because I grew up poor, I think, the grit and perseverance that, you know, trying to, trying to prove 
that I'm worthy and good and, and smart and, and not, you know, stupid immigrant because I was, I was beat up when I was a little kid because I looked different than the other kids. And I was teased and beat because, um, I was Asian. And so, um, I think that made me a lot tougher in terms of, um, growing into an adult, being able to, to, you know, go beyond challenges that, that really knock you down. I mean, literally when I was a kid, I was knocked down, but then emotionally and, and, um, figuratively growing up, you get knocked down a lot with, with failures. And the thing about failures is I don't call them failures. I call them progress. So it's never something that, it's, it's always going to be a given that there will be failures, but the best part of it, that is that you have something to learn from those failures and that will make you better and make you improve. And the next iteration becomes closer to reality because of it. Yeah, that's true. Now you, you're the inventor of uh, um, the solar lights and then the invention you called Solar Puff, which I think is kind of an interesting name. So where did the name Solar Puff come from? So, well, solar, because it's, you know, sol- it's gets its energy from the sun. But Puff, because um, it's been, it was inspired by the origami balloon. And the origami balloon, um, you kind of fold paper and it flat packs when you when you see the shape of this that's the origami balloon when it's flat packed and then the origami balloon you kind of you um because it's paper you blow it you blow one puff and then it oh wow now i get it yeah and so um obviously the solar puff doesn't um you don't have to blow on it just the folding mechanism allows it to keep its shape and the material that we found. And, and I did a lot of ton of research trying and failing with different materials before I found the perfect material for the solar puff. And um, so the material allows it to, fo- it's soft enough to fold, but strong enough to keep its shape when it's in a cube form. And that's, that's why we called it solar puff and it, it, people kind of liked it people liked it except the military there's this one group of guys down south in, in North Carolina and they were a military group and and they didn't want to say solar puff so they wanted <laughs> to change the name so anyway so did you uh, bend to that um, well, we have other products, like we have another product called the Twilight, which is a mini lantern, and then we have the Helix, which is, a you know, like the Solar Puff, but a different material. It looks more like a, an ice cube. So, so I guess know, it goes back to you always want to give it a name for your audience and that. So I can see, you know, people in the military, primarily, you know, men and women, they want to have something a little more um, militaresque, I guess, as far as the name and that, so... That's cool. I did see one of those uh, solar puff things. It looked like about the size of a building to me. It was huge. It was like this big, you know, big box. I mean, it was like people could go inside it. I thought not that big yet. Maybe it's, maybe it's an intuitive vision. 
was it a maybe it was like a photoshopped i don't know no but... i don't think so because i think there was a name to it but i looked at a bunch of different things before when i was doing my prep work to talk to you about that so let's go back so you had the invention and you call it solar puff and of course then from there, you had to do, I would imagine, before you manufactured thousands and thousands of them, do some field testing with that. Tell me about how that went and how you decided to do the field testing and how long that took. So I, I was at Columbia University at the time of the Haiti earthquake, and I turned my studio around to be an innovation studio to help Haiti. And that's when you know, the research we found was that people were using kerosene because they were so poor, there was no infrastructure, and um, there were, you know, burns, um, deaths, um, asthma, emphysema from the smoke from the kerosene, and they were paying up to 30% of their income on this toxic fossil fuel. And I thought, you know, if they could save that money by having a solar lantern, then they could use that money for food, paying for, you know, clothing for their children, education. Um, and basically, I thought that's when I became a social entrepreneur because I knew that this product could, could tackle all three things, um, pollution, health and um, improving lives. So that's how it started. And then I did field testing in Haiti. There was a group of women farmers at, in the central plateau of Haiti and I, I made 500 units by hand. I had, I had the circuits made but then the envelope or the, the um, diffuser I made by hand and I brought them down to Haiti and gave them to the women farmers. And, and there's a kind of magical thing that happens when you hand them out because, and they've never seen it before. Some of them start crying, some of them start singing, but they all kind of, some of them kneel down and say, this is a gift from God. And one woman said that that she uh, broke the glass that went around her kerosene lamp, so and she couldn't afford to buy a new glass for the, her kerosene lamp. So at night, when the kids are doing their homework, the the room is filled with smoke, and they're coughing, and it's just awful. And so she was so grateful, you know, for the for this light that we gave her and you know that's the kind of thing that happens when when we do a light drop um and i'm not the only one i mean luckily people understand our mission and they love our product and some people just travel and they end up leaving their solar puff in kenya or uganda or malawi and um and they, they spread the light that way. Where did your fascination come with solar energy in general? Was that back to when you looked at the, the pollution in that and trying to yeah. find an alternative, especially since your son had asthma? Yes, absolutely. That was really the, the game changer was on that 
critical moment where you see your child's lips turning blue and you're you're wondering why why is this happening to my child and then you do the research and you understand you know everything is interconnected and and maybe that's because of my my professor background that research is so critical and that how we observe the world is so critical and how that gets applied to how you move forward in the future and how you can change because of the things that you learn. And basically um, 75% of the pollution in New York City comes from buildings, from the lighting, from the HVAC, air conditioning and heating and computers. So um, 75% not, not from the cars. Um, you know, the North Pacific gyre is Mother Nature's way of telling us, you know, showing us how, how much plastic we throw away because there's, there's an island the size greater than the size of Texas and it's all made out of plastic and Mother Nature has just kind of naturally <laughs> pushed all the plastic into the North Pacific gyre. Wow. And now people, you know, all these scientists are trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, but I kind of look at that as an example of, of all of us did one little bit to make that happen. The detriment of the planet, we, we all did our part by doing just something small, like throwing one plastic bottle away to create that. And what I believe is that we can heal the planet if that happened then we can reverse that because everyone can do one little thing to heal the planet such as using a solar puff instead of a light bulb for one hour a night is uh, gonna save 90 pounds of carbon emissions a year and just imagine if you know a million people did that so it's yeah, there should be some annual uh, holiday when we're using solar puffs for a day or something like that. Yeah, I wish I wish I could get with Earth Day. You know how the Earth there's an Earth Hour and then there's an Earth Day. Um, that would be amazing if everyone just, you know, lit a solar puff for one hour. But that would be. Yeah, you should you should maybe you know embark on something like that. I mean, I could see where it would be easy. I mean, after all, we all got together for the eclipse, right? Everybody had to go outside at a certain time to do that. So if we can do that on on an, on an eclipse, we can do something for the solar uh, panels and energy and all that type of thing. It was pretty good. So where do you think yeah. you go from here? So you know, you've got well, this great company. Are you looking for more international sales or more humanitarian efforts and? people to go out there and donate that to kids and, and small countries where they don't have lights and that type of thing. All of the above. I mean, like in the United States, um, you know, a certain percentage of our sales goes to being able to help communities in need. Um, we also work with nonprofits where nonprofits buy our product whole, wholesale and distribute them with volunteers. Um, on, on a few occasions, I've gone myself to deliver lights, um, but that that's our social mission. And then in the United States and Europe, it'd be wonderful if everyone had one just in case there was a power outage. 
or if they wanted to save electricity, they used solar puff for ambient light um, instead of tapping into the grid. Um, but these are loved by campers and outdoorsmen that, you know, go hiking and this, our products are fantastic for that um, because they're so light, you don't even know they're in your, your backpack. And then they just pop open into a cube. That's pretty neat. I'll have to get some for around the house here because I think when you talk about ambient light, we could use it, you know, like at dinner parties and that instead of having all the other little lights on, putting little dimmers and things like that indoors as well as outdoors and that. So, Alice, you've had this extraordinary life, you know, from being a, a sort of, you know, and it was bittersweet growing up, of course, because you were separated with your family and that. But you have to look back on your life and where you are today and then, of course, moving to the future and I guess the question I have, do you believe in destiny and do you think you've been living out your destiny? I definitely believe in destiny. I also believe that you can't predict or you can't plan your destiny, but you have to be able to be open to, um, to what happens uh, in time. And so... The best way that I can explain it is that there's, you know, there's two characters of time and the Greeks called them Kronos and Kiaros. So there's a line of time that's straight and consistent and his name is Kronos. He's old, he, he walks with a cane and he's very predictable. And then there's Kiaros and he has wings on his feet. He has no hair in the back of his head. You can't catch him from behind. He flits and floats and is unpredictable. Um, and when those two lines of time intersect, those are the moments of opportunity. So you have time where you, you have that's predictable, your day-to-day, -day, but things like chaos, like Hurricane Maria, like 9-11, like um, tsunami in Japan, like these things happen that are unpredictable. And those moments of need are when opportunity, invention, and innovation happen. So being able to see that when, when that intersection occurs, I think is is what matters for um, destiny. Do you lean in or do you lean back? Lean in and meet your destiny. Very good. So tell me an intuitive experience, like where you had a flash of intuition that was so profound. I mean, would that have been your journey as an architect? Would that have been the, the spark that started the, the Solite manufacturing? Or, would it, or is it something else? So um, there are so many because, again, this goes back to gutsy because, like, you know, intuition is definitely your gut. And in business, I always, I always go back to my gut. Like, if you can't make a decision, what is your gut telling you? And you have to, you have to go with your intuition. One, one experience. <laughs> was was Haiti. I mean, like, um, you know, the earthquake happened and 
the most recent one last year, 0.2 earthquake, and the president, the prime minister was shot at that time. And so there was a lot of gang violence. And, and I said, look, um, the whole reason, you know, we, we started this solar puff because of the first earthquake and I felt like I had to go. And my gut was telling me I should go. So I went and I think that it was, you know, and that just kind of rippled into a chain of events where I was able to, oh my God, I, there were all these videos that I took while I was there. I think they're going to show that in the docu-series ends up being your, your destiny. Yeah, it ends up being your intuition, maybe even your guiding light at that point. So let's yeah. end on something fun. I mean, I love food and food recipes and all that kind of stuff. So you probably have some awesome recipes that you probably cook at home or learn from your mother and that. So what is your favorite type of food? So when guests come over, what is the favorite food dish that you like to serve? All right. I, I am famous I for my dumplings, my Korean dumplings, and I can make you know, vegetarian, I can make turkey or pork, but I tell you, if I, if I make a plate of my dumps, they're gone in three seconds. Like there, and everyone always asks me for the recipe. And, um, Quinn, my son, when he, he went off to college, he was away all summer. I didn't see him. And, and he, texted me right as he was going to be home and he's like I have a craving for your for your Korean dumpling can you make that for me <laughs> and I was like yes of course you know Alice it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and um, I hope yeah, everybody Alice. checks out I guess it's solight.com s-o-l-i-g-h-t.com and just google Alice Chun and of course you want to read the book Gutsy Women by Hillary and Chelsea Clinton and check out the docu-series so you can see Alice in there on Apple TV. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Emmys awarded for the docu-series. And um, I certainly love all that you're doing, especially with these solar lights and that kind of stuff. It's just really extraordinary. Thank you so much for for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure meeting you. I, I love you. You come <laughs> to New York, you come to New York and you give me a call and I'll take you out. Absolutely. If you come to Atlanta, make sure you look me up. Anyway. Wasn't that a fun interview? It's so exciting to really have a conversation with someone and, and get a glimpse of their backstory, how intuition fits or doesn't fit, or whether or not they're fulfilling their destiny or think they are, or even know what their destiny might be. Alice Chen was a wonderful guest. I hope you do check out Solite and the Solar Puff solar panels they would make a fun gift hostess gift holiday gift christmas gift birthday gift all that i plan on buying some because i just think they're fun you just open them up really easy put them out in the sun and then you've got you've got light and i think the subtext of alice chan and her message is she is one who is consistent about spreading the light if you're flirting with the idea of expanding on a voice platform like amazon alexa be sure to check out studio carlton me and my team of voice designers, producers, and developers can do extraordinary work to help you interact hands-free, 
voice-activated, data-driven content on Amazon Alexa. I mean, it's just great. You can create a revenue stream. You can sell products on there. You can send text messages to You can also send notifications. It is the future, folks. If you're not on a voice platform soon, you're going to be missing out on a lot of opportunities. Thanks for tuning in. The Intuitive Edge is produced by Weston Media Group, LLC, Atlanta, Georgia. Enjoy the day.